Welcome to the discussion, zoning in on information and location in government, sponsored by Here Technologies. Here's today's moderator, Scott Massioni. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Colonel Paul Hessling, the Chief of Plans, Programs, and Operations Division at the National Guard Bureau. Later, we'll hear from Pratik Desai. He's the Senior Product Marketing Manager for Global Public Sector at Here Technologies. So, Colonel, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is the comparison of data, data collection, location data collection, and all that sort of stuff uh, from the private sector and, and the public sector. Um, I understand that DOD probably takes in more information than uh, maybe any other entity in the world. However, the way it deals with that information may be completely different than the private sector. So could you just give us a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, okay. Thanks, um, Scott, for having me today. And certainly on that, you're right. There is a enormous amount of data out there that um, gets taken in. And the key is getting that processed and, and the proper analysis done and the output of that data um, by the analysts. So um, while we have multiple sources that we take our data from, mostly federal agency partners um, and, and inside the DOD, um, the key really is getting it in the right hands of the right analyst with the skill set to decipher that data, figure out what's useful and what's not, and then assess that data and figure out what kind of decision making can be made from what's available. Um, the hardest part though, as you hit on, is the amount of data that we do get. It's, it's data coming from every direction, some of it useful, some of it not, and how to sort that out is key in getting um, the operation and seeing success and wherever the mission is. How do you try and make some of those decisions? Uh, you know, are you using logarithms? Are you harnessing AI? Uh, are you working with your private sector partners? So we do work with um, inside the DOD, who, of course, as you know, works with many private um, public um, sector partners um, who come through the DOD either through a grant or the contracting acquisition um, mechanisms that are available to them. But once they're inside as approved partner inside the system, are mostly federal agency partners with the National Guard Bureau. We do use um, artificial um, intelligence processes and algorithms, um, not being written here at the National Guard Bureau, but in our DOD partners who specialize in that. And we provide them that data to um, do that analysis and that artificial intelligence to give us some predictions on where maybe the fire is going to um, be or where the flood's going to happen, where the most catastrophic event um, is going to take place that might necessitate rescue of personnel or people of public citizens or property. Do you, do you ever have an issue with uh, too much data? As I was saying, DOD collects a lot of data um, and, and it has a lot of sensors everywhere. Um, you know, is there a time with, these, uh, with this data that you need to create data ponds out of that big data lake? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Um, we're getting data, um, as we previously mentioned, you know, whether it's from the you know, the United States Geological Survey, whether it's from NASA, whether it's from FEMA, um, could be the Civil Air Patrol in a particular region, wherever um, we're responding to, or some DOD sensor that's out there. Um, intaking data, unfortunately, in our particular response efforts, generally a, a um, domestic response, you know, trying to save lives, protect property um, from a hurricane flood, wildfire um, event. It's geotagged. So all that data we get is already geotagged from whatever that sensor of choice is that comes to us. So then we can really try to sort it out on the location that we're trying to focus on and get the heart of the matter of whether, you know, this is an area where we think is all clear. This is an area where there's still um, people who need rescued and then dispatch the right um, piece of equipment or asset to um, protect that piece of property or um, save that civilian life who maybe is trapped on a roof or, or whatever the case may be. So you're in a very interesting position being in the National Guard because you work on state, local, and federal levels. Really, you can be called up at any time for any sort of uh, issue. And uh, you guys really are the Swiss Army knife of, of the military. Uh, how, you know, as you've looked at these different sorts of natural disasters and, and the different areas of government, what's sort of the top needs that you see in each of those levels, that local level all the way up to the federal level? Yeah, so I would say information sharing um, and, and sharing each other's data and clear communication. It's important to have a common operating picture that's accessible to everyone. So in the National Guard Bureau, like you mentioned, we're um, a, a lot of times focused on a domestic operation um, inside the state responding to either a wildfire, a flood or hurricane or some sort of man-made or, or a natural disaster. 
So there are many other partnering agencies that um, we've mentioned here already that have tools and assets and personnel who are trying to look at this same problem set and really having a clear communication and open lines of availability to share information. So a shared situational awareness of the problem set and then the specific data that needs to be looked at that will help us all obtain our common goal, whatever, depending on whatever that is that we may be looking at. When it comes to interoperability, uh, is it hard to work sometimes on a, a local level? Uh, maybe you know a small city doesn't have the resources that obviously the federal government does. Uh, they may not have an AI department or something like that. And, um, you know, are you still able to to work in between those different layers? Yeah, here in the National Guard Bureau, we are. Um, we actually uh, developed um, with some partners uh, a tool called the Domestic Awareness um, Assessment response tool, um, commonly referred to as DART. And that is a tool that was developed here in the National Guard Bureau with our partners. And it takes us down from the federal, state, local, and tribal levels. So it could be a county sheriff's department in some state could access this tool. It's a web-based tool. You request access to it. You're given a username and password. And all that data, whether it's a full motion video, whether it's um, you know whatever type of data it is, we can feed into the into Dart. We have a, a pretty um, complex organized filing system by event uh, that's taking place, and then we just simply give access down to the local level, um, state level, and federal partners. So that's one thing that um, National Guard Bureau I think has done that we should be um, and are proud of is creating this tool that can be shared from the local to the federal level. That's easily accessible. Doesn't require some sort of you know card that you have in the DOD or access to get to. You can get to it simply by having a need, requesting a password and username, getting it, and then you can get to the data and everyone can get to that at once. So if there's one thing that DOD is, is good at, it's planning uh, and planning's right in your job title. So, you know, there's a lot of situations I'm sure that you plan for. How does location data, uh, you know, build into that? How do you bring that data into your plans and, and use it in a dynamic way? Yeah, so like you mentioned, there's many national level exercises that we um, train on um, annually. Um, of course, most states have exercises ongoing all the time, um, whether it be the Cascadia subduction zone or the New Madrid seismic zone or a floodplain or wildfire um, somewhere in the West. So we kind of, you know, train as we fight. That's the unique thing about the National Guard is we're able to utilize our war fighting skill set that the soldiers and airmen are trained to go do their federal Title X mission, go to war in some deployment scenario. And we can use those tool sets and those skill sets um, in a domestic operations um, effort, whether it's responding to something inside the United States, um, again, some type of disaster. So um, just that train as we fight and putting the emphasis on that dual use of those capabilities of both personnel and systems and equipment really gives us an advantage and puts us in a unique situation to respond to any community across the United States. And are there any disasters that you've been changing your view or plans around? You know, we've seen these super storms of hurricanes being more prevalent. The wildfires are getting so much more, um, you know, bigger than they were in the past in the West. You know, how, how are you dealing with those sorts of things? And is there any sort of location prediction that you have with that as well? Yes, yeah, so we are. I mean, we're having to adjust. As you mentioned, you know, hurricanes seem more prevalent. We had a record year of hurricanes make um, landfall this year in the United States. Um, we had record number of wildfires out West. Um, we kind of have stopped referring to wildfire season and, and just look at it as we have a wildfire year now. Um, so we're constantly trying to make adjustments and position um, our training um, events so we can do um, training that may be real world applicable to some response effort that, that we're responding to our training on best positions us to respond to that wildfire when it does actually happen. The same thing to the hurricane. So as you mentioned, um, they're more and more prevalent. It seems like the seasons are longer, they're more frequent, and they're sort of an enduring response versus, you know, maybe just a week here or a few days there. And we are having to make adjustments to that. So just sort of sewing up this, you know, everything we've just talked about in a way, um, you know, public safety officials have a lot they need to take into account. They have you know, data, planning, practices, uh, you know, whatever's happening with the, the, nat the natural disaster. Uh, you know, how are they sharing best practices? Is there one book someone can go to and just say, all right, this is what I follow? Or, uh, you know, what, what are they doing in that situation? Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, it would be great if there was one book that we can follow. But we, 
we have done better um, in the last several years. We do have um, after action reviews with um, the multiple agencies that respond to whatever events it was um, with, the, um, with the hurricane or with the flyer, or with the Corona-19 virus, whatever it is. So we're doing lessons learned and after action reviews and information sharing and going back and looking at you know, best practices and things that worked and didn't work. And again, it goes back to that sharing of that information. If one state or one national, one section or you know, one area in the National Guard was responding to a particular response, some of the best practices may be able to be applied to a different response. So um, just sharing that information again and making it available um, is key. Of course, like you said, there's, it'd be great if there was one book that we could just all go to and, and find the answer, but unfortunately that's not the case. So we try to compile that data. We share what we have. We encourage our partners to share. We're fortunate to have the great partners that we do who openly share information with us and it makes it um, easier for us all to respond and work together when the time comes. And those best practices, those are easily accept, uh, accessible for, you know, really anyone from the local level all the way to the federal? They are. Um, back to the um, DART tool that I referred to earlier, there's a library in there of lessons learned by event, by year. Um, we've had that tool going on um, five years now. So you can go back and look at a hurricane, um, Harvey or Irma, that happened a couple of years back, or you can go back and look at a hurricane that just happened this past season and find some of those best practices and lessons learned. And that's why they're so important to capture and they're to make accessible and readily accessible to everyone. Um, so that new person, when you know you do move on into another position or you're doing something else um, that your predecessor or your follow on can go back and find that data and implement those best practices and try to improve on those. Great. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. My guest is Colonel Paul Hessling. He's the Chief of Plans, Programs, and Operations Division at the National Guard Bureau. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Zoning In on Information and Location in Government, sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. For the latest on my security clearance. Federal News Network. Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to the discussion zoning in on information and location in government sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and I'm continuing with Colonel Paul Hesling, the Chief of Plans, Programs, and Operations Division at the National Guard Bureau. And Colonel, you know, we're talking a lot about data, so I wanted to ask about your involvement with the private sector. How do you team up with the private sector uh, to really help um, with the national disaster response and everything else that you do? Yeah, so primarily, um, you know, there's a lot of private sector partners out there who have a, light, a lot of innovative ideas. And fortunately, there's, um, you know, lots of mechanisms for the, them to um, get in there, whether it's a small business innovative research grant that they could utilize um, through the, you know, normal contracting and, and DOD acquisition processes. And then leveraging industry days um, and sending guardsmen across the states um, to those industry days so they can meet and see demonstrations of those technologies that are available. And then just helping um, foster and direct those folks with those great ideas and, and innovative technology and data sets to the right people inside the contracting and acquisition system to um, get them in the door so we can further develop um, that relationship and use that innovation that they have. You know, and you're talking a lot about harnessing innovation and they bring a lot of really interesting technologies. You know, we have drones, 3D mapping and all that sort of stuff. Are you able to, to harness any of that at this point um, or are you still just in a transition phase? So we, we do harness a lot of that, Scott, primarily through the um, agencies already have those well-established relationships in place. Like I'd mentioned earlier, the US Geological um, Survey, they have a lot of imagery that's already geotagged kind of before and after pictures that we can look at. So they are, those agencies, a lot of our federal partner agencies outside the National Guard Bureau um, have established agreements um, and understandings between each other. So when an event does happen, we all, of course, are focusing on that particular area, wherever and whatever the response may need. And we leverage what they have. And many of those partners have those um, agreements already in place with some of those public sector 
um, industries that are providing that. And we simply leverage what's out there already. You were talking about pitch days. You were talking about small business innovative research, uh, pro, well, really grants and contracts. Um, you know, how can a business that maybe is on the outside looking in make it, itself uh, interesting to DOD and, and how can they kind of break in? Because sometimes DOD can be a little bit of a daunting customer. Sure. Well, I'm certainly not the expert on how to get into the um, contracting or acquisition world into the DOD, sure. but I would encourage um, anyone out there with an innovative idea or um, you know, some piece of technology that they believe they can apply to the public safety sector um, enterprise, be it the National Guard or first responders, um, whatever the case may be, that they find that industry day and they leverage maybe other partners who are already in there, um, join groups um, that are part of what they are commonly working on together. Of course, I understand they've got proprietary information that they don't necessarily wanna share, but we're all trying to get to the same goal of you know, savings lives, protecting property, and utilizing whatever assets that is. And the National Guard, quite frankly, has mastered that. And we're in every, every um, community across America. We're embedded into the communities and into the businesses. And um, you know, we respond to just about everything. And we're able to leverage those DOD acquired skills with our civilian acquired skills, a lot of times right in our home state and hometown communities and really makes us effective when we can leverage those partnerships that we've been talking about today. And the beauty about those industry days and when you're working with something like a consortium is uh, I assume that you, you have access to someone like you or to an acquisition professional that can sort of guide you through that process, right? Yes, and, and there are, and there are you know, offices, again, um, not necessarily my, my expertise, but there are lots of offices um, in, the, in the federal government and inside the DOD and the other public safety sectors um, where people can get in there and showcase their, um, their product. Um, and then DOD specifically has recently stood up the um, Joint uh, Artificial Intelligence Center, and they are constantly seeking out those technology firms that specialize in things. And many of those applications can be used in a humanitarian assistance or disaster relief or domestic operations response that the National Guard be in involved in responding to. And we leverage all those partnerships and um, information that are available to us. So we're focusing a lot on, on location data and this specific, um, this specific talk here. And I was wondering if you could give us maybe a few situations where location data has been helpful and then maybe where location data might be able to take you in the future, you know, once we get 5G in here and, and other exciting technologies and innovations. Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said, the, most of the imagery and, and data that we have does come geotagged. So we have the um, capability to look at it before pre-event imagery and see um, what was. And then depending on what um, and how quickly one of our partners has the capability to share with us, we can see the after pictures of what is. And we can use that information to determine the before and after pictures of what kind of infrastructure um, received damage and what did not, and then shift our focus to those most affected areas. And then narrow it down again to you know, are there lives there that need to be saved, which would cause us to go into a search and rescue scenario or a protection of property scenario? Or can we move on to that area and consider it cleared and focus on um, where it needs to be? So like you said, the data is key. Um, having the data and being familiar with the data prior to the event and having that relationship with the partner and having access to that data is critical and allows us to go right into execution and implementation of putting that data to good use in the operation. You know, what that really reminds me of is a, a concept within the larger defense department, which is the joint domain all, uh, excuse me, the joint all domain command and control, uh, which really brings in, uh, you know, artificial intelligence data and quick decision-making. Uh, it sounds like you have something kind of similar to that right now on the domestic level. Uh, you know, do you see something kind of transitioning into a, a similar, um, you know, JADC2 kind of situation? Yeah, so that's kind of the idea, right? Um, what I had mentioned previously, uh, using that DOD acquired skills and knowledge and tools where appropriate and, and where the authorities are in place and leveraging those into the domestic operation response effort that the National Guard um, have proven to be such experts at. So absolutely, um, we carry that right over from one to another in a dual use scenario. Um, and, and that's what we um, are experts in in saving the community and protecting property across the states and the National Guard. 
How about uh, GPS-3? You know, that's something that the Air Force and Space Force have been working on. Uh, is that something you're privy to at this point, or is it still a little bit in the, the transitory uh, stage? Yeah, uh, still transitionary stage, um, Scott, to us. I mean, look forward to it. know there's a lot of work being done out there, but not something that we're currently using. But I'm certainly looking, looking at what's coming available to us um, down the pipe. Right. Well, let's turn to, uh, you know, Operation Warp Speed, uh, COVID-19, obviously something that's on everyone's mind right now. You're in charge of one of the biggest rollouts of vaccines, you know, really ever. Um, you know, how's the National Guard responding right now and ensuring that each individual state and locality can get the vaccine it needs and get the job done? Yeah, so as you know, every state um, in the, in the in territory and in, in D.C., um, in the nation is currently experiencing the response to the Corona-19 virus. I believe the first briefing here at the National Guard Bureau was in February, um, and the states immediately came online in March, and they have been at it ever since. And we've literally had thousands of guardsmen over the past 10 months on the front lines, um, either helping in some sort of nursing home or some sort of facility in their home state, wherever the need was identified by the governor and working with us here at the National Guard Bureau and the larger DOD enterprise, um, including Operation Warp Speed and the Health and Human Services community. So it's been, as you know, a full on government um, effort to respond to this pandemic. And the National Guard has certainly um, done its share to try to um, provide direct support to its community. And we have moved on to our role in the supporting the Operation Warp Speed. Um, the states are starting to see the vaccinations um, the past month or so. Uh, getting those distributed and getting them to the National Guardsmen and then helping distribute those to um, the people who need them, whether it be first responders or people in um, healthcare facilities. And we have successfully leveraged our medical um, skill sets in the National Guard, all the way from the distribution of the vaccination to the um, delivering the um, vaccination to the patients. So pretty much across the board, the National Guard has as I've been involved in this response. And, you know, how are you keeping track of where each area needs this amount of, uh, you know, vaccines? And, you know, it seems almost mind boggling to really get all the numbers perfect on this. Yeah, and, and, and we're not by any chance getting them perfect, but, you know, the demand um, right now outweighs supply, um, as everyone knows. So it, we are not in charge of determining where it goes or how it goes. We we were participating in getting it to where it needs to be once that decision has been made and then administering it to the patients that have been identified to, to, um, to receive the vaccination. And we'll continue that probably throughout the um, vaccination um, as it continues to become more and more available and deliver it to more and more locations and more and more people. This year, you've had more National Guard members deployed since World War II. You've had, like you said, the hurricane season, COVID-19. There was civil unrest in a lot of cities. You know, how are you, as someone in charge of planning, working with operational tempo, making sure that everyone can get the rest they need, also the training, and still also respond to the nation's needs as well? Yeah, so um, that's something we look at very closely. Uh, you know, most of the states um, are the, the states are where the rubber meets the road, right? They're the, they're the ones out there executing the mission. Um, those adjutant generals across the 54 states and territories in the District of Columbia are monitoring that. And I can assure you that the readiness of the National Guard has never been stronger. We have successfully responded to the hurricanes this past season, the um, COVID-19 response effort that's been going on for 10 months and still maintain soldier readiness to meet that go to war mission. So our units are deploying out the door who've been previously identified to go to their title 10 mission, wherever that may be around the world and still meet that homeland mission. It hasn't come with um, out any difficulty as you mentioned, it's had to be actively managed at the state levels and the states have just done a phenomenal job at maintaining readiness, keeping equipment up and going, um, keeping the morale of the guardsmen up um, and you know, letting them see the reward of taking um, pride in what they're doing right there, often in their hometown communities and in their states. So a lot of pride goes into the work that they do. They know these people in these communities and what, how they operate. Um, and then they also know that they have to maintain focus on their readiness to do that um, Title X federal mission. And um, we're doing just that. Well, throughout my reporting, I've heard some really great stories of how they're keeping the morale up. Uh, I've heard of rescue, dog rescue teams coming and um, sitting with National Guardsmen, 
and uh, you know, people bringing gifts to them and all that, that sort of stuff. So uh, heartwarming to hear, I'm sure. Absolutely. We're going to pause here for a short break. I'd like to thank my first guest, Colonel Paul Hessling, the Chief of Plans, Programs, and Operations Division at the National Guard Bureau. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Pratik Desai. He's the Senior Product Marketing Manager for Global Public Sector at Here Technologies. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Zoning In on Information and Location in Government, sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network. Calling all D.C. metro area educators. Are you looking for a way to create a sense of normalcy for your students? Hero Squad, formerly Pennies for Patients, is a flexible and fun service learning opportunity presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. This year, students and staff can run an SEL-enhanced and STEM-focused program raising funds and awareness for blood cancers in a fully virtual setting. Visit Herosquad.org for more information and to sign your school up. That's Herosquad.org for more information. Welcome back to the discussion, Zoning In on Information and Location in Government, sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and I'm joined now by Pratik Desai. He's the Senior Product Marketing Manager for Global Public Sector here technologies he has a, a long title and uh, i'm sure there's a lot of uh, smarts behind it pratik thank you so much for joining us and uh you know i wanted to start by asking about the national guard who we just spoke to you know they were saying that they need a lot of private sector integration sometimes they're trying to catch up to the private sector because they have certain agilities that the private sector doesn't or private sector has more agilities than the public sector does so, you know, how can government agencies learn from innovations that the technology sector is working on and how can they uh, really try and, and stay at the speed of relevance? Thank you so much, Scott. And that's a, a really great question. Now, the National Guard is one of six different types of government agencies, um, and this falls under the purview of public safety. So I really think that it's important to kind of have that context in mind. And what I tell you know, my business partners and peers and leaders kind of across the private and public sectors is that when you want to get acclimated to what the latest innovations are, literally just pick up the phone or get on your laptop and email your trusted partners. Fortunately for the technology companies, especially in the software space, we operate very much on a, the knowledge is free basis. We just have conversations and dialogue to really better understand one another. I mean, me personally, I'm very interested in knowing what are the key initiatives that the National Guard and its sister agencies are working on, Department of Homeland Security and FEMA. And as such, you know, we can then tap into our repertoire of knowledge and understand what we need to share back with them. And there's a lot of really cool information out there. It's just a matter of having that constant dialogue. So it really, it starts with a conversation. Do you find that the government is open for these sorts of dialogues and that there is enough uh, back and forth between the two or enough opportunities for the back and forth between the two? That's a really good question. And, and I used the word trusted advisor earlier because I think there would be some prior reticence if it's just a cold email from somebody that is lacking context, which is why, you know, my company, what we did is we launched a major initiative for the public sector. We've got an entire team behind this. And what we essentially said to the market was we're going to share mar knowledge with the market for free. This is available out there completely ungated. You don't have to jump through any hoops to get it. Oftentimes you just got to click on a link and sign into a webinar. You can download white papers and documents that we've constructed. And we really kind of go through all the different stages of work that say a National Guard would go through. I mean, ultimately their playbook goes back to the four stages of emergency response. So mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. And we really think that our messaging resonates well because not only is it available without jumping through any hoops, but we're speaking the language of our first responders and heroes. And, you know, it sort of seems like you're operating on this knowledge is power sort of idea and that the more knowledge people have, the more that they'll be able to work with the government. Um, you know, how does that work in the, in the data world sometimes when you have so much knowledge out there uh, that it's, it's hard to kind of stay up to date? Uh, you know, how can you be uh, working in that, that way, but also stay quick and agile and that sort of thing? Well, I think it starts with asking questions and oftentimes when we were in school, they were, they would tell us, you know, no question is a dumb question. And I think that really that wisdom carries over. I mean, if you take, for example, the question of what is data and why do I need it? It really starts with what is your end goal? And the end goal that we think it supports is decision support, which is to say that we're helping you get better at your job. The way that you get better at any job, whether it's you're running a landscaping business, you're a financial analyst, you're a bookkeeper, or you work in retail, no matter what, even government agencies, the goal is always the same, which is to reduce the error rate. 
For public safety agencies, the imperative is that a reduced error rate means more lives are saved. So we're always speaking the language of how do we help save more lives? How do we reduce emergency response times? How do we give you greater visibility in areas where, frankly, your eyes and ears can't tell you? What if you're in the middle of a storm? What if there's a disaster happening 500 miles away and the latest maps that you have are on paper and they haven't been updated in a decade? So that's where we come in and we provide kind of those additional eyes and ears. That's really what location intelligence, which is our bread and butter, is all about. And, you know, when we're talking about the private sector versus the public sector, they're very different from each other. And, you know, innovation is sort of one of those things that is ingrained in culture. And if you don't know what you don't know or you, and you don't know what you don't have, um, maybe you're not always caught up or you don't know that there could be a Google Maps out there or whatever. So, you know, how do these differences um, carry over to, you know, actually saving lives and, and how can the private sector really help in those situations? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it starts with, I wanna make sure that our friends in the public sector understand that we take this with great passion and humility. And a lot of different agencies are at a different stage of their maturation. So it's okay if we're not talking about the latest and greatest right away. That's oftentimes where the conversation will occur. I mean, there's a lot of really exciting things that we're working on. We're providing terrestrial LIDAR. These are things that are being used for autonomous driving and uh, will in the future be used in you know, drone mapping and, and so on and so forth. You don't have to start there. What you really need to do is just have an open and candid conversation and, and see what you're working on. And for a lot of agencies, that really simply means, hey, I wanna understand what traffic conditions are so that when I'm routing ambulances to fires, that I have real-time visibility into what routes to take and which ones to avoid so I can get there faster. Uh, there's a wealth of research out there that suggests that, you know, even shaving seconds off of an emergency response call correlates to more lives saved over the long run. So really it's about just what is your day-to-day -day like? You know, what, what are your pain points? And once we start to hear kind of those common themes of, okay, this sounds like a timing issue, this sounds like a visibility issue, this is a data blind, blind spot, we can go back to our stack. We don't want you or expect you to know our stack. What we want you to know is that the entire ecosystem, every single technology company out there, we're here to be trusted advisors. We're not here to push product. And at the end of the day, like if you're telling me you have a routing issue, I'm automatically thinking of, okay, here's how a potential solution can be stitched together. But again, it's gonna be built around what these leaders and agencies need and want. You gotta customize it to what they want. So back in the 60s and 70s and during the Cold War, we saw a lot of the innovation coming from uh, the Defense Department, from NASA. I mean, uh, practically everything that we use today, they have some hand in, you know, the internet, uh, Velcro, styrofoam, all that stuff. Those innovations were coming from government. Today, they are not coming from government. And we're finding sort of this switch where government is not using the technologies that we are using in our everyday lives. Uh, Google Maps, maybe, um, you know, that might be really frustrating if a National Guardsman may not be able to use Google Maps to pinpoint a location. Um, you know, what are you hearing from government when it comes to those sorts of frustrations or trying to, to really just kind of catch up? Yeah, so uh, again, like depending on who we're talking to, uh, there's, there's one variable, which is kind of what stage of your maturity curve are you at? The, the second layer is, you know, how close are you to the day-to-day? -day? Are you literally the head of the agency? Are you the secretary of Department of Homeland Security? Or are you in kind of the day-to-day -to, -day to support, you know, disaster response preparedness? So that's kind of the second variable. Uh, but one thing that we're commonly hearing kind of at the ground level is uh, information sharing is critical. Another thing is we're introducing ideas that we think are commonplace in the private sector, but are perhaps a little bit new in the public sector. And it's like this notion of not only preparing for disasters before they occur, but preparing at some regularity as a part of a whole body of work called scenario planning. This notion that you can actually conduct training exercises for the top five most common incidents that may occur in your jurisdiction on a monthly basis or even a bi-weekly basis. And the way you can do that is by using technology and tools to essentially model out a, a simulated world, a 3D ver a world of where you're exactly operating, whether it's the East Coast, in Chicago, Midwest, West Coast, like we can help you build that world and then run through whatever your scenarios are. You know, did a light pole fall? Was there a, a 10 car pileup? Was there a fire in a high rise? 
we can help you do these things so that as you know, you think about like when you're running a football play, you know, when it's a timeout or whether it's at halftime, you got your coach writing out on the whiteboard and your team is sitting there taking notes going, yeah, I see this now. We can do that with public safety agencies. We can essentially use technology that already exists, knowledge that already is existing in the agencies, combine the two together and unearth new insights on say, hey, listen, we got to get better with how we respond to floods. We got to take into consideration that no matter what the, the freemium routing app tells us, there is a need for critical data because that data goes out the window because it doesn't take into consideration the variables that we would say that would come up a disaster. I mean, that really sounds like a great way to kind of build solutions toward, um, you know, issues that we're already having. And, you know, one of the things that Colonel Hessling said was that, you know, they have all these action act after action reports. So, um, you know, Hurricane Harvey came through and it was a completely different storm. And now they have an after action report, which gave them an idea of what to do next time. But it sounds like through through something like what here Technologies is talking about is you can really think through something before it even happens and then be even better prepared, right? You can literally model out a Hurricane Harvey, point blank period, right? There's the reason that disasters can be costly is, is because there's, a, there's obviously A, a cost of inaction, but then B, there's a cost to lethargic behavior or hesitation. And all of that comes from just a lack of awareness or preparedness. It's nobody's fault. We're not all expected to be born knowing how to respond in a flood. But when we get together and build a program around it, use tools that we have in the toolkit, these things are off the truck. We're not building anything new. This is the innovations that we have in the private sector. I mean, yeah, they're probably about 10 years or at least 10 to 15 years ahead of where the public sector is. But we can bring that to bear and we can model out some of these scenarios so that it goes back to the four stages of emergency response. When you mitigate these disasters, you're essentially reducing the amount of calamitous damage that could ostensibly occur. So yeah, a Hurricane Harvey or even something small, like there's a busted fire hydrant. Like what do we do in that situation? Well, like using our location technology, we can tell you where all the intersections are. Where using real-time traffic, we can tell you where mobility trends typically occur, where the major centers of population density are. And we'll say, hey, listen, based on this data, A, B, and C roads need to be blocked off, route traffic this way call in these following agencies and respond to it. That's just a very basic incident. There's over two dozen different types of incidents that we talk about here to technologies. And we believe that we have the wherewithal and support to really help enable scenario planning for all of them. Exciting opportunities for the future. We're gonna take a quick pause here. My guest today is Pratik Desai. He's the Senior Product Marketing Manager for Global Public Sector at Here Technologies. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Zoning In on Information and Location and Government, sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. For the latest on my security clearance. Federal News Network. Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to the discussion zoning in on information and location and government sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. My guest today is Pratik Desai. He's the Senior Project Marketing Manager for Global Public Sector here at Here Technologies. And Pratik, you know, I wanted to ask about uh, the innovations that Here Technologies is actually doing. You know, you talked about some really cool stuff with planning uh, before a disaster actually happens. What are some of the other things you're working on uh, since you're very close to the technology sector and are working in that space? Yeah, no, there's, thanks for that question. There's a number of things that are quite exciting. So, I mean, you mentioned one right now, which is here LiDAR data, which to put in the most simplest terms, we're building a video game environment of the world. So it's a 3D uh, point cloud of the entire atmosphere. Every single point on the map has geo coordinates to it. So Think about a 911 call that tells you there's a disaster here and what you're going to do is send people to an address. Well, using this enhanced technology, we can actually get you to a point where not only do you know where the disaster is occurring, you know what corridor the building it's occurring in, ostensibly even what floor it's on or you know what room it's in. That's what you can do with kind of your LiDAR data. 
a number of other things that we're working on relate to routing. I mean, we have matrix routing solutions that enable us to, let's say if there is a major disaster, a national disaster where you got to get a bunch of DHS, FEMA, and National Guard, you know, convoys out there. Our convoy routing solution can essentially develop optimal routes for up to a thousand vehicles all at once, right? I mean, this is not something that uh, is consumer grade at all. Like we're taking into consideration different variables like inclement weather, um, rerouting traffic, uh, potential road attributes such as road roughness, which would slow down the velocity of the vehicle and therefore, therefore, you know, your ETAs are gonna be affected by this. We also have the ability to provide indoor mapping solutions as well. So think about walking into a shopping mall or an airport. We can essentially take the schematic or the blueprint of the building and provide an entire map of the entire building. So now if you're a public safety agency and you have a need to respond, we can literally help you from the desk where the call is taken to the phone where the you know first responder is getting it all the way to the exact location of where the incident's taking place uh, via waypoint routing. So there's a number of things. It's, it's covering visibility, it's covering you know, the 3D environment, incorporating a new innovation called the Z-axis. So you're gonna start to hear about this a lot more as well, right? Um, we've got the X and Y down, and now we're introducing the Z. And that's where a lot of these 3D LiDAR solutions are really helping. And then last but not least, the routing and mobility. How will uh, you know, 5G affect what you're doing, especially with the transmission of data? They know that's something that's really you know, starting to build its infrastructure around the United States. Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody's ever watched Star Wars, I mean, they were, so, they were almost a half a century ahead of their time, to be quite honest. I mean, think about when Princess Leia is getting that hologram, you know, help me with Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. We think that 5G will essentially enable us to bring big data, extremely big data solutions to the palm of your hand so that a first responder can actually kind of see in the palm of their hands where exactly they're going. I mean, you know, we're not in the business of holograms, but if there is a modality like that released, you know, we want to be on that platform and we think that we can do that. So that, that's one thing is just bringing more data to bear at kind of the outer edges. Another thing that 5G can do, and this is really critical for public safety agencies because they don't exist just to serve metropolitan areas. Like Chicago Metro is what, nine and a half million people. Um, but there's people who live out, you know, in the outer suburbs in rural areas. You know, these are citizens of our communities and we still have to serve them. How do we account for the fact that emergency response times out in the rural areas are significantly higher and data connectivity is much more sparse. Well, with 5G, we can bridge those gaps. And remember, going back to what we talked about earlier with scenario planning, if we kind of help to develop some muscle memory with these agencies, they can start to forecast and anticipate with some regularity, okay, hey, listen, if I'm getting, let's say 100 calls a month and you know 10 of them are coming from rural areas, I can now then deploy emergency vehicles to certain sectors of my locality based on that anticipation of need. So now just by being smarter with your data, you're not dropping new trucks, they're not putting faster trucks in, you're not doing any of that. This is literally just deploying vehicles in anticipation of future needs. And again, this is using technology that we already have. You're getting smarter and helping to save more lives. Because again, seconds matter when it comes to something critical like cardiac arrest or if somebody's having trouble breathing. So, you know, speaking of seconds matter and, and that sort of thing, the National Guard recently had to have, uh, you know, a response in the Capitol. Uh, didn't exactly go that well. And, uh, you know, now we have Congress and other agencies looking into what went wrong with that. So we there are clearly pitfalls within the public sector agencies that are in, in charge of taking care of, of the citizenship. Uh, what are other pitfalls and, and, you know, where are you seeing those pitfalls uh, that, that cause delays, that cause, uh, you know, people to not get the help they need in time? Yes, I mean, the, just to put into context here, the government is still spending a ton on technology. They're spending almost 20% of their budget sometimes, depending on the agency, on IT, and then 17% of that will be spent on software. All in all, the United States is dropping a little bit over $5 trillion in spend, right? So even a percentage of that, like they're putting some serious money into this. That's about a fifth of what the S&P 500 is worth in terms of revenue. So I don't wanna you know, diminish the efforts there, but what we can do is help to get smarter with some of the allocations, right? Like when we talk these conversations with agencies, we're not even necessarily looking to replace anybody's solution. We're an add-on. Like we believe in open and extensible APIs. So a lot of times if you're an agency 
that has like a really cool tool set that you use for response or for training, a lot of times we can just plug into it and we can kind of feed that data into whatever you use doing. So I think the intelligence part is key. I'm, I'm going to continue to hit on this again. Scenario planning is really going to represent the, the future of public safety agencies over the next decade or so. The notion of building that muscle memory and that preparedness will help to heighten alertness and reduce that kind of lethargy or you know, anticipation, like hesitation that occurs because you're just getting there faster. Now with the situation like you have a major metropolitan area, again, indoor mapping is key because now you can provide a view into entry and exit points. Guys, like this isn't just a once in a, a year exercise. Think about you know, prior to COVID-19, think about how often we had concerts. Think about sporting events. You know, the Bulls playing at the United Center or the Lakers at the Staples Center. These are major collections of people. And when you have a major collection of people, the risk profile goes up. Again, we can actually help with mapping out risk exposure as well using geolocation and geointelligence. And getting these agencies thinking more about, okay, guys, like we've got 82 NBA games in the season. Half of them are home games. If, you know, even 10% of them go wrong, that means that's four home games we need to plan for where there could be a fire, a flood, uh, electrical wiring goes awry. So we really do think that scenario planning is going to represent kind of that way of the future. And the way that we can do that is by having these conversations about what are the activities that are taking place on the ground and where are the biggest gaps? We talked about some basic ones, right? So how fast are my vehicles getting to, you know, respond or where will disaster occur? Unless you know all the different entry and exit points of a building, you may not realize that you're not just going to have fires in the front of the building. You could have it in the back, right? Or if you're running into a building, you know, what if it's been locked off and you didn't know about it? Like these are the things that we can map out on, you know, scenario planning and geolocation and essentially inform these agencies where to go and where not to. So it seems like as you know, you've talked about this, we've talked a lot about location and location data, but here technologies, it seems, has moved toward away from that and sort of evolved itself into something more than just data of, of locations and mapping and that sort of thing and more into sort of a platform. Is that, is that a correct characterization? It is. I mean, think of us as like the analogy I use, depending on what region of the country you're from, it's like a hamburger or a taco. There's different layers to it, right? And we sit kind of right in the middle. So if you're a taco, you know, we're the meat or the beans. If you're a burger, you know, we're the patty. And that means that you're going to have solutions on top of us and below us. And that's by design. We get calls from our partners, both public and private sector all the time, because we can plug into all different layers of it. What that essentially means is that we can have intelligent conversations that go outside of mapping, right? Like we're evolving mapping with HD mapping. We're working on autonomous vehicles. We believe we have the wherewithal to support, you know, UAV and drone routing with our here LIDAR data solution but also talking about some of these other activities beyond scenario planning. What about predictive capabilities? We've got a partnership with a company called Logis Solutions and we serve the public safety market. And through their dashboard, they're able to essentially predict where an emergency vehicle is going to be, you know, five, 10 minutes into the future. That's groundbreaking. What if we can do that for every single agency in America or the world? What if we can do that, you know, and extend that time horizon out beyond that? We're just getting smarter about emergency response. We're also having conversations about risk analysis and exposure. Again, this is not a bread and butter mapping topic, but in reality, it can be. That's where GIS comes in. We also play in the GIS space. So having foundational mapping data, building a platform and essentially saying, hey, government agency, if you have some information on the risk profile by neighborhood, we can build that into our platform. And then you can essentially understand where to deploy vehicles based on the day of the week, based on time of day, right? Like, uh, maybe you have a, a sector of the city where there's more older buildings, more prone to electrical fires. You can essentially station more vehicles there in anticipation of this. And again, none of this has to do with any new capital expenditure. Think about it. No new vehicles, no nothing. So this is just about getting smarter with what you have uh, and the notion of doing more with less. And the reason I think it's important is because globally, there's over a half a million government agencies, right? So even when we think about, say, 100,000 of them roughly are serving public safety, the vast majority of them are going to be state and local, meaning city or county or provincial. And therefore, they may not necessarily have the resources of a Department of Homeland Security. But our stack serves every type of agency of every type of size, no matter what. And a lot of what you talked about with platform capabilities goes back to APIs. And 
The thing with APIs without getting too much into the engineering of it is that it's just based on a data exchange. So we can share as much or as little data as you need. And just real quick as we close here, you know, COVID-19 is obviously part of life now. Um, you know, what are you doing to work on that? And, and how is that working into that dynamic place that you are? I mean, it sounds like you're really at the sort of membrane of, of that sort of, uh, you know, area. Yeah, we have a number of initiatives right now. We're having conversations with a number of government agencies to essentially provide them the ability to locate uh, testing and vaccination centers. Um, we've also done kind of a, a pro bono initiative with the city of Chicago. We have essentially the, we believe the tools to, you know, continue to help our society and our communities to really get over this, right? 2020 is the, the year of, you know, renewed growth and regeneration. And we think that we can help out and we're actively having these conversations. If there are any public safety agencies out there that want to know kind of how we can help on COVID-19, again, just reach out to us. We have a lot of things that we can just take off the truck and, and show you how to use them. Um, whether it's identifying where exactly to place vaccination sites, if you're having any uh, public deployment of vaccines, or if you still want to accelerate your testing, right? If you want to get a greater regularity to it, right? Like when schools open back up after a certain season, um, or, you know, when seasons change and we get into the summertime, we anticipate more people being outside, more cars on the road. And these are all geolocation topics that we believe we can help on. And because COVID-19 is still very much a reality for us, um, we believe that we can kind of be trusted partners to help out. Very interesting. Well, we've had two really interesting guests today. We had Colonel Paul Hessling. He was the Chief of Plans, Programs, Operations Division at the National Guard Bureau. And we just heard from Pratik Desai. He's the Senior Product Marketing Manager for Global Public Sector here at Here Technologies. And, uh, you know, Pratik, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search here. Thank you for listening to the discussion, zoning in on information and location in government, sponsored by Here Technologies on Federal News Network.